All right, we are really live this time uh, on on live on LinkedIn. I think uh, with the fiftieth episode of uh, Roasting Marshmallows. Uh, my name is Raul Suit, and you know that I am your host. Uh, next to the fiftieth episode, this is also the one year anniversary. So uh, we are really pleased uh, to have made it this far, and uh, who knows how far we will get in the future. Uh, but but today uh, it's all about, of course, celebrating, but it's also uh, about budgets um, because creating a budget is, is one way to stay on top of your expenses as a business, but also as a household, I guess. Uh, but most companies spend a lot of time analyzing past performance to come up with budgets for next year, trying to stick to them as close as they can. Uh, but, you know, due to today's rapid changing markets, traditional budgeting might not be the best fit for companies anymore. Uh, so beyond budgeting is the idea of abolishing traditional budgeting processes to eventually establish a highly decentralized organizational system and adaptive set of management processes. And today we are sitting around the campfire with Bjarte Borgsnes, chairman of the Beyond Budgeting Roundtable, and uh, he has helped numerous companies globally getting started on their own Beyond Budgeting journey. Uh, Bjarte has a long international career with more than 25 years of Beyond Budgeting experience, having worked in both finance and HR. He's a popular international business speaker and is the winner of a Harvard Business Review slash McKinsey Management Innovation Award. Uh, he is author of Implementing Beyond Budgeting, Unlocking the Performance Potential, a theoretical introduction and a practical guide to bringing such a more empowered and adaptive management model to life. Uh, welcome, Bjarte, to the 50th. Thank you. And yeah, thank you very much. Uh, and I'm joined today by uh, my two co-hosts as well, Ahik and Panche. Welcome, guys. Hi. Well, thanks. And looking forward for this conversation because I think like I'm in love with the conversation about no estimation and I guess beyond budget touch similar principles as well. And I think it's a thing that triggers a lot of people. Every time I talk yeah. about there is a chance that you can do things without budget, everybody goes like bananas on me. So I'm very curious to hear this story. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. uh, before, oh, sorry, Panche, go ahead. Of course. Yeah. And I think the whole, this whole idea about beyond uh, budgeting came to us from, uh, the book that was written by, um, uh, John Buck. And we spoke to John also, uh, earlier this week. So he has, uh, sends your, his best right. regards, uh, to you, Bjarta. Um, and yeah. That's where we got introduced, and uh, I actually really enjoyed um, reading uh, your your book. Uh, the I have to uh, the language in which it's written. It's really really speaks to me. Really easily easy read, and uh, quite some interesting uh, topics and ideas uh, in there. So really, yeah, looking forward to go into some of those uh, more in detail. Thank you. I'm happy you liked it. Uh, I was trying to write the book that I wanted to read myself. So, uh, yes, yeah, it is a story uh, from the trenches of implementing this stuff. I liked it. And the language like really speaks to like how people at work would really talk to one another. And uh, also not uh, not just business people, also developers, the way they would speak the words. I was like, man, <laughs> I had to chuckle a few times reading the book. So it's like really nice. <laughs> Nice. Thank you. So, 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 Bjarte, what is the um, what's the problem with classical traditional budgeting methods? Why is it uh, not really working for companies? Well, first of all, I mean, beyond budgeting, as you kind of indicated, is about much more than budgets, yeah. um, and uh, it's really about changing traditional management. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, at the core of traditional management, we find not just the budgeting process, but the budgeting uh, mindset. And uh, 
uh, that is where the name is coming from. But uh, again, it is uh, about much more. Uh, as you know, there's a big doses of leadership into this. And Beyond Budgeting also has views uh, uh, not just on, on budgets, but uh, performance evaluation um, on uh, incentives and rewards. Yeah. So it is a pretty comprehensive, uh, complete leadership and management uh, model. Um, but it is unique in the sense that I don't think there are any other um, alternatives to traditional management that also address the budget problem. There's a lot of great stuff out there, uh, many communities, many models, uh, including Agile. But um, if you think about Agile, then, and I'm a big fan, so this is not uh, criticizing yeah. Agile at all, but, uh, you know, Agile was born in software development. Yeah. Right? It was not designed as a way to run an organization. And what we have experienced in all these years of scaling Agile and business agility is that the holes in Agile become visible. Um, and these are the holes that Beyond Budgeting is filling uh, because um, the concepts are based very much on the, on the uh, same philosophy. Yep. But again, uh, Beyond Budgeting addresses things that uh, Agile didn't uh, simply because it was born in a different place. Uh, Beyond Budgeting was born mm -hmm. as a way alternative way of running an uh, organization. What, what could an example be of, problem, a, of, a, of a hole that, uh, that the Beyond Budgeting is filling? Could you give an example? Yeah, yeah. For instance, I mean, we, we, we uh, uh, Agile doesn't say too many, too much about how to set good business right. targets yeah. or, or how to do good forecasting or how to uh, allocate and uh, optimize resources in yeah. a good way and, and so on and so on as, as a few examples. Okay. But the problems you asked, well, <laughs> that, that, that list is long. Uh, it's very long. But, you know, it all starts with the assumptions that this way of thinking and this way of managing is built mm -hmm. on. And it's basically two assumptions. Um, and this goes not just for budgeting, but for traditional management in general. Um, assumption number one, you can't trust people. Assumption number two, the future is predictable and planable. Yeah. And we are challenging both those assumptions yeah. heavily in Beyond Budgeting because these are, this is not true, right? It is not true. And uh, these are very much illusions of, 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 uh, of control uh, as well. So um, uh, that is why Beyond Budgeting requires not just a change in what we are doing, but just as much a change in how we are yeah. thinking. Uh, including on these two assumptions. Yeah, because you can't trust people. Uh, does that mean that the, the assumption is you cannot trust your the people that you work with, or is it more can't trust the competition? Well, it, I mean, th this is about management, yeah. not trusting employees in yeah. this context. But that's right? pretty pretty horrible, uh, right? Because like, who wants to work with people that you don't trust? Yeah. But, you know, the funny thing is that when, when people are recruited, I mean, everybody says we are looking for the best yeah. and, and, and uh, <laughs> yeah. suddenly when, you're, when you have a kind of um, on the inside, then, then um, suddenly you are exposed to all these control systems um, and uh, the uh, evaluation system also makes sure that most people are average, right? Even if people, companies claim to recruit the yeah. best. 
that's also <laughs> one problem with traditional management. Yeah, about the, about the evaluation and compensation. Like I remember uh, when I was working for my uh, earlier company where we had a yearly round of salary increases and, uh, you know, they offered me, uh, you know, let's say 100 euros extra. And then I said, like, well, I think I did really well, so I think I, I deserve a little bit more. Uh, and then my manager at the time said, like, well, if I give you more, then uh, I can give your colleagues less because, like, I just have a budget for giving raises out. So, yeah, it, it has nothing to do with my performance, but it has more to do about, you know, how much can I sabotage my, my, my coworkers so that my raise will be higher. At least that, that was the thought that came <laughs> across my head, of course, at the time. So it, it felt really, uh, yeah, counterproductive. But one reflection um, on, on the word budget, when, when um, uh, given what you yep. just said, because the uh, first of all, when I say budgets, I mean more than right. cost more budgets than and project yeah. budgets. I mean company budgets, I mean profit and loss budgets, uh, sales budgets, whatever. Yep. Could be cash flow budgets and whatever. So it's the full okay. thing. And then when it comes to um, uh, the, the, the cost budgets, I mean, the one misunderstanding around beyond budgeting is that uh no traditional budget the cost is not important i can spend whatever i want uh, that is actually not what we're saying because very often money will be a constraint yep. just yep. like it is in our private lives yes. so the only thing we are saying is that we need more intelligent and effective ways of optimizing uh spend than what a hundred year old management technology can yep. offer us yeah. It's quite amazing. This this technology is, is is a hundred year old. And by the way, do you know who invented budgeting? Uh, the budget? Mr. James O. McKinsey, the founder yeah. of McKinsey Consulting. <laughs> and um, uh, obviously, I, I never met the guy, but I I don't think he was an evil guy. I think he had the best of intentions. I mean, yeah. he he wanted back then to help organizations perform better. And um, it probably did a hundred years ago, maybe even fifty years ago. But yeah. today. This way of thinking, this way of managing is doing exactly the opposite. It has become more of a barrier yep. than a support for getting out the best possible performance. Because that is basically what Beyond Budgeting is about. Um, uh, as, I, as the subtitle in my book uh, says, it's about unlocking performance potentials, getting yep. out the best possible performance in organizations yep. defined in the right way. Right? Because you so, can't define performance mechanically as hitting budget numbers. That is that is meaningless. Yep. Uh, so you need to define performance uh, uh, broader. So okay. as I was reading reading uh, through the book, and I came realized, well, okay, your your angle, how you you got introduced into this topic, is through budgeting because that was your domain of expertise. But I thought, shouldn't the name of this whole concept beyond management? Because it's it's it, it touches upon HR. It touches about. Yeah. Uh, finances, it touches about processes, uh, IT, like the whole concept of management. It's not and budgeting is so it kind of creates a bit of this, uh, I don't know, wrong perception for people, uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Trust me, it's not the first time uh, I've heard that comment. <laughs> and, uh, and, and of course, I, I understand it because it, it is a somewhat misleading name. And we have had long discussions. Uh, shall we change it? Look for something better. Uh, and if you have a great proposal, then, then <laughs> let us know. And uh, beyond man management, well, well, maybe at least beyond traditional management. Yeah. I, I still think we need management, but we need intelligent man management yes. and human management. Yeah. Uh, um, but we have decided, at least for now, 
to stick with the name. Uh, first of all, because it has become somewhat of a brand. Yeah. Yeah. And also, um, uh, it provokes people. You get some attention, yeah. right? There was somebody pr- uh, proposing dynamic management. Well, I don't think that kind uh, of provokes a lot of people. So um, by provoking, you can get some attention and a chance to explain what this is all about. And then people understand that this is broader. But yeah. Um, yeah, when, no, the name is an issue. So we, you touched briefly upon Agile and uh, we shared definitely your experience with Agile and the shortcomings of it. We've been, each and every one has been more than 15 years involved with it one way or another and uh, it always felt like there is something missing like all agile initiatives die on some hill when we try to talk to management and, man- and often management doesn't understand or it will implement it but well things will some sort sort of just die out and then we came about beyond management it was like whoa has this been the holy grail that we've been looking for what has oh, your experience been? is now called Beyond Management. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I wouldn't call it kind of shortcomings in Agile because, again, Agile was not designed as such. Uh, I think there are natural re- reasons for these holes. But I think what happened during scaling was that or in the, in the initial pioneer years of Agile, when it was about software development, then what um, the C-suite uh, and executives observed that was um, uh, faster projects, lower cost, more happy people, mm-hmm. and wonderful applause, yeah. right? Great stuff. I love Agile. Who can be against that? Yeah. And then Agile started to scale, and suddenly it had implications for executive beliefs and behaviors. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't that fun anymore. I think that is one reason why, kind of beyond the holes, that that uh, scaling Agile is, is hard. I think another possible mistake was to use the same framework and language and labels that were so relevant um, in those early days uh, when you're scaling because I mean an, an executive that are unfam- unfamiliar with with with, ag- with, with, uh, with rugby would, would, would think that uh, scrum is a kind of skin disease right <laughs> or that uh, slack is about laziness or sprint is about running faster <laughs> so I think this is where this is where uh, beyond budgeting provides a language that these executives understand. Yeah. They might disagree, but they do understand the language. And I think those two things are part of the problem with, with scaling Agile beyond the, the whole stuff we talked about. Because then which language but, do you guys use that, you, like, as an example, uh, just for me to understand, if you would compare, like, for example, what Agile uses is Scrum, then do you have, like, a framework for beyond budget? Yeah, if you look at the the um, if you look at the six uh, management processes uh, uh, that are part of the twelve uh, principles mm-hmm. in total, like we talk about uh, target setting, forecasting, resource allocation, um, uh, and so on, um, and 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 within those labels, a lot of other words that again executives uh, can that. can uh, can relate to. So um, uh, I'm not saying this is the biggest problem, but it, it's kind of part of the problem with, with scaling Agile. Yeah. But again, we don't need to make this into a problem because, I mean, by, by, by letting beyond budgeting be combined with an um, Agile transformation, even if I don't like that label, um, then, then um, um, uh, you get something that is very powerful. And I, <laughs> today it seems like 
every respectable company is on an agile transformation journey in some form <laughs> yep. or shape. Yeah. And they all discover, and often quite late, yeah. that again, that there are holes here, there's something missing, and yep. we are called in to help. So it's it really given us a big boost um, uh, in the, when it comes to the interest in, in, in beyond budgeting. And obviously the other boost has been the pandemic. Yep. Yeah, uh, which uh, again has opened the eyes for a lot of people that uh, we need to do something. But like and... when, when they come to you, like for example, they say like, "Hey, we are doing this transformation," and they come to the realization that this agile transformation is not working, or like, yeah, I, I wonder how they come to the realization that they need something like beyond budgeting. That's the let's say the rewire in their brain. Like, how mm. do they make that connection? Well, I think it varies. I mean, sometimes it is uh, kind of agile co coaches in the company that uh, themselves uh, realize this, uh, and they might have heard about beyond budgeting. Uh, sometimes it is uh, executives uh, getting this, and, and uh, uh, sometimes we are kind of gently nudging uh, companies uh, to, to help them understand that uh, there's something missing. So um, I don't think there's kind of one, one pattern leading to this, but there's a clear trend that... Uh, these companies ask for uh, ask for, for for help. And like uh, yourself, I imagine because uh, I don't fully know your full background, but like as Pontius described, you started on this part of uh, of your career. At some point, then you did you are like part of this process, right? Like doing budgeting and doing this whole thing, and maybe not per se believing that you could not trust people, but somehow you are in that system. Like, what was the click for you? Like, this is just not for me it has to be a better way well it's um uh, it's a long story but if we have the time i'll, yeah, I'll share we'll that time. story with you <laughs> because it's um it's it's fascinating and it's um uh shows that you need a, a bit of luck and some wise people mm -hmm. around you but uh, <laughs> uh, again i mean my you said i i started out as a budgeting guy my first management job in um, a company called Statoil. It's called Equinor, uh, Equinor now. Uh, by the way, I've just taken early retirement from, from Equinor in order to be able to work full-time with, with this. But my first management job in, in Statoil back in the early 80s was actually head of the corporate budget department. Ooh. So I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, so I've done a lot of stupid things in my life. Um, but, uh, but this helps when I'm talking with finance yes, people because, yes. I mean, I, I, yeah, I oh, do yeah. the game. Uh, ten years later, uh, I was asked to head up finance in a new company that Statoil had an ownership in, a petrochemicals company called uh, Borealis, that was uh, Europe's largest at, at the time. 30 plants across Europe, uh, headquartered in Copenhagen in Denmark. And we started operations March 1, 1994. And it didn't take many days before people came to us and said, where is the budget for 1994? We can't operate without the budget. And as fun as people, we agreed and we started to make that budget for 1994 on top of everything else you need to do when you're uh, setting up a new company, right? Uh, uh, recruiting people, setting up systems, moving to Copenhagen with your family and buying a house and you name it. But uh, sometimes in June, July, uh, there was no summer vacation that, that year, <laughs> that budget was ready. Um, and everybody felt relieved. Now we are back in control. We have a budget. I think it took two days before people started to talk about the budget for 1995. <laughs> we need to start thinking about that. It's, we are already late. It's yeah. summer. And again, as honest people, we agreed and started to work on that. 
Uh, again, on top of everything else that you have to do. And sometimes during the autumn, uh, also that budget was ready. So in this startup year, we had actually made two budgets, which is quite an, uh, takes quite an effort because it is a new company. The only energy we had left, we spent um, at the hotel uh, outside of Copenhagen, uh, spent the day, gathered the finest people from across Europe. And the purpose of that day, that was to improve the budgeting process in Borealis. And we spent this day having completely unimportant discussions about, shall we move this column from here to here? <laughs> shall we stop asking for this number? And so on and so on. Peanut yeah. issues. Towards the end of the day, as we were about to move another column, then suddenly we heard from down in the corner, a guy that usually was quite active, but uh, this day he had been very quiet. Suddenly we heard, what if we don't budget at all? The room became dead yeah. silent. Everybody turned around, looked at the guy, nobody said anything, but I think we were all thinking the same. This, this guy needs a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. I mean, uh, we just, uh, yeah, uh, continue to, to 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 improve and then finish the day. But that comment turned out to be a kind of a, a defining moment, number one, on this mm. journey. Because uh, I think maybe half a year later, a little bit more, then everybody realized that the synergies coming out of setting up this new company, it was a merger. It wasn't enough. It's a very competitive business. Uh, very thin margins, so we needed something more. So the the um, uh, conclusion was that uh, the company went into uh, what was at the time called business process reengineering. Right, fancy mm, name, fancy but, uh, name, big thing in the nineties. A lot of consultants earned a lot of money on this, but it is only common sense. Look for a better way. I right? turn every stone. Look for right. a better way. And I was asked to head up something called management effectiveness. Uh, and that's also quite a fancy title. So I went to the CFO, which I reported to, and asked, uh, what do you mean? And also, what do you expect? And he just looked at me and he smiled and he said, Bjarte, I expect the unexpected. That was the mandate we got. I went back to my team, shared yeah. this, and it didn't take long before that comment from the guy in the corner came back to us. Because... I mean, we were not dumb. Of course, we knew that this was not a very uh, intelligent process, but yeah. kind of kicking it out, unthinkable up yeah. till now. Yeah. Then we thought, well, maybe could this be an opportunity? So we went back to the CFO and told him that we want to kick out the budget. And he smiled again and he said, well, that sounds interesting, but what shall we then do instead? And we had to admit that we don't have a clue. Maybe you shall go and find out was his response. Oh. So that's what we started to do. We started to search for an alternative to budgeting. And don't forget, this was before there was anything called yeah. Beyond Budgeting. Mm -hmm. And search in 1995, that was not Google. Yeah, no. Right, that was reading, going to exactly. the library, calling people, discussing. And that's what we did. Weeks and weeks, couldn't find anything. Suddenly, there was a little glimmer of hope because we read in a Swedish magazine that Volvo kicks out the budget okay. immediately up to their headquarters. Uh, but they had done some interesting stuff, but we were after something more radical. Back to Copenhagen, continued to search. 
another glimmer of hope uh, in a US mag- magazine, I think it was Fortune, we read an interview with Jack Welch, the former CEO of uh, GE, General yep. Electric. And he said that the budget is the bane of corporate America. And I quickly learned that bane was uh, not the compliment, <laughs> right? It's kind of the, the curse yep, of, of corporate yep. America, I guess it means. Uh, and then we thought, well, if he can say something like this, then uh, there must be something uh, to this. Just a little sidestep on this story, because many years afterwards, um, when Jeff Immelt had taken over from Jack Welch, I was actually invited over to GE to talk to their, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the top corporate uh, mm-hmm. executive uh, team, plus a lot of other managers about Beyond Budgeting. Uh, and I did my session and afterwards, a lot of people came over to me and said, you know, what Jack said, that was for the outside world. <laughs> Inside GE, it was still a, a very different machine. <laughs> anyway, um, back to Copenhagen, continue to search. Um, and we were this close to giving up when there was another great question mm-hmm. or comment, uh, another defining moment. There was a guy on the team asking, why do we budget? Yeah. And we looked at him and we thought, what kind of question is that? But it turned out to be a great question yeah. that cracked it all. And from 96, we were operating without budgets and um, uh, it worked wonderful. Cost even came down. But like in this process, then you guys were like, uh, because your CFO needed a budget, then you guys were already studying and researching. So then you didn't do budget at all, or you did your budget and you went in parallel doing this research? Uh, no, I mean, as long as before we had cracked it, uh, of course, we had we, we had a budget, uh, both for 1995, for half of 1994 and for 1995. But from 96, we operated without budgets. Um, and... When you're asking, well, what did we do? That's also a little bit of a long story, but it is an important part <laughs> yeah. of the story. Yeah. It goes back to this, this question of why do mm-hmm. we budget? Because if you yeah. ask that question to managers, finance people, um, executives, most of them would come up with not just one, but three different reasons for making a budget. Companies make budgets in order to set targets. Yeah. Financial targets, sales targets, production targets, right? So that's one purpose. Companies also make budgets in order to understand what next year can look like in terms of profit, cash flow, and so on. So it is kind of forecast of what next year could look yeah. like, and you would like that to be as a reliable forecast as possible. Yeah. And last but not least, um, budgets are used um, uh, to allocate resources. Yeah. Handing out extra money on OPEX, uh, operating costs, and, 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 and investments, uh, capital expenditures. And it might seem very efficient to solve all three purposes in one process and one set of numbers, but that is also the problem. Yeah. And let me explain why. Let's assume that we are moving into a budget yeah. process and uh, upstairs uh, finance want to understand next year's profit. And they start on the revenue side and they ask responsible people, what's your best number for next year or numbers? But everybody knows that the number I'm sending upstairs now on revenue will come back to me as a target for next year, maybe with a bonus attached. Yeah. And trust me, that insight might definitely do something to the level of numbers submitted. And I think you know which way they are mm. going. Yeah. <laughs> Moving. Uh, then uh, if, if you turn to the cost side or investments, um, the same people, other people are asked, what are your best numbers for next year? 
But everybody knows that this is my only shot at getting access to resources for next year. And some might also remember that 20% cut on that initial proposal last year. And that insight and that memory might also do something to the level of numbers submitted. Um, And again, I think you know which way uh, the numbers (laughs) are moving. (laughs) <laughs> to the moon and, and you know we, we can smile and laugh a little bit about all of this because this is something most people recognize because they have experienced yeah. it themselves and it sounds like you've done it uh, too but this is actually uh, quite a serious problem not just because it destroys the quality mm-hmm. of numbers but also because it stimulates uh, behaviors that I would call at least borderline unethical the lowballing, the sandbagging, the gaming, the resource hoarding, yeah. the internal negotiations. Yeah. That's not the kind of behaviors we would like to see, right? So this is a big problem. On the other hand, I'm not blaming people behaving like that because they are just responding this, to the system that we have designed exactly. them to operate exactly. in. Exactly. So this is not about fixing or changing people's behavior through fixing people. No. It is no. about changing systems, which again will change people's yeah, uh, behaviors. Exactly. Yeah. The good news here is that there is a very simple solution. We can still do these three things, but we should do these things in three different processes because these are different yeah. things. Yeah, makes sense. Right. A target, it's an aspiration. It's what we want to happen. While a forecast is an expectation. It's what we think will happen, whether we like what we see yeah. or not. Brutally honest, right? 50-50. And last but not least, resource allocation is about optimizing scarce resources. And by dividing this into three processes, we first of all, we allow for targets to be more ambitious than forecasts, which they typically should be. But even more importantly, when you have separated, you can start to improve each one in ways that would be impossible when it was all bundled in one process mm-hmm. and one set of numbers. Yeah. Then you yeah. can set design much more intelligent targets that inspire and motivate people um, and maybe stretch people without feeling stretched. We often talk about relative targets as one example. Um, You can do things with a forecasting process so that you get the politics out of forecasting because now forecasting is no longer a bid into a target negotiation. It is no longer an application for resources Mm -hmm. because we have different processes for that. It's just forecasting. You have nothing to gain by gaming your forecast. Exactly. Uh, yeah. and, and, and again, we don't need a million details in a forecast because we are looking at the future. There's uncertainty. Uh, we can't bring with us the same um, detail, mind, the, the detail level as we do in accounting when we are looking at the past when there's no uncertainty. And last but not least, how can we find, again, more effective, intelligent ways of managing cost than what Mr. McKinsey could offer us uh, 100 years ago? Yeah. And how can we uh, – then we can also discuss – how, which rhythm should we organize each of these purposes and processes on, right? Because um, um, doing something with the rhythm is also important in beyond budgeting. Why on earth shall everything be calendar-based and circulating yes. around the fiscal year of typically January to, to December? So now you can organize these processes on a, a more business-driven, more event-driven rhythm that reflects not just uh, uh, the, 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 um, each purpose on its own, but also the kind of business yeah. you're into. Right? So, and, and this, this separation is, is very important. It's a very important part of a beyond budgeting implementation because, first of all, um, it is something that uh, 
finance people get executives, they get it, they understand it. This is not scary. They might find it well beyond budgeting principles in mm-hmm. total, including the leadership side, scary, but this is pure logic. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And also, when people say that it's impossible to operate without the budget, then our response is that, well, here we still do what that budget tried to do for us, but because we have separated, we can do each one in so much better ways. Yeah, and are, are they and what, are they truly uh, separated? Because uh, I think you mentioned that, for example, the forecast leads to the target. Um, so, do they influence each other, or are they truly, indeed, three separate numbers that don't? Know? Well, the, the more separate you can make them, right. the better. Because if people keep thinking target setting when they make forecasts or resource allocation when they make yep. forecasts, then you then you get biased exactly. in the forecast. Yeah. Yeah. So you need to do whatever you can in order to, to um, uh, uh, kind of decouple yeah. this. And one way of doing it is um, to set um, so-called relative targets. And relative targets uh, is about being inspired by football. Okay. I have yet to meet a football team saying that the ambition for next season is to score 42 <laughs> goals and get 45 points. Right? Those are budget goals, and they don't yeah. think like that. No. They think in terms of league tables, peers. It's all about doing well against peers or competition. Yes. So when you have the ability to create these league tables, and it can be on a lot of things. It can be on financial par- parameters. It can be on uh, operational efficiencies. It can be about the safety or whatever. Then... Um, you have uh, a very powerful way of uh, setting targets and, and uh, again, stretching people without feeling people feeling yeah. stretched. Because, you know, if, if there's a league table, then nobody likes to be laggards. I have yet to meet the team coming out at the bottom of a league table saying that we have no ambition about climbing on this league table. Right? Everybody yeah. wants to climb. But... If the discussion is about absolute target negotiation, shall the target be uh, 29.2 or 30 or 28, then another gene wakes up, right? And then it is the, the everybody's trying to negotiate as low number as possible. Yes. So, so um, there is something fascinating with, with this way of setting targets. And um, um, also, uh, it's... Um, uh, it is not just about driving performance. I think we should always position this way of thinking more from a learning perspective than from a, a kind of driving yeah. performance perspective. Okay. I mean, I, right? We want people who, who struggle to contact people who are doing better and, um, and, and learn from them. How can we yeah. improve? And if you want that to happen, then you need to do something with your incentive systems. Yeah. Right? Because... Um, if you're at the top and of, a, of a league table and you and your team and uh, it's all about individual bonuses, why should you want to help somebody that one day might threaten your number one spot and have implications for your, your bonus? So what many companies do who go beyond budgeting is to move away from individual bonus to a common bonus yeah. scheme. Um, the classical example is that, uh, that um, so it's a common bonus game driven by how is the company doing versus competition. And that gives everybody a reason to, to help each other. Um, and uh, this is an example of, of how you need 
coherence uh, and consistency throughout your management model, all the way from target setting via forecasting, resource allocation, performance evaluation, and rewards. Um, there has to be kind of a consistency in the thinking behind. You can't have HR sitting in a dark room designing, uh, designing incentive systems that are inconsistent with the performance philosophy in the rest of the, the, uh, the process. So I guess that's where yeah. the, the, the tricky part comes. No? Let's say if we would call beyond budget implementation or transformation, this is the, I think the challenge how then, because so let's say if I look from the agile point of view, right, we say the same, let's break silos or bring people together, have this whole mm. cross-functional thing. But then in your experience, how do these other people like HR, like, hey, HR is my business, you guys are doing budget and you come with your beyond budget to me, mm -hmm. I'm the expert. Yeah. Like, how do you guys then bring these people on board? Mm. Well, uh, in beyond budgeting, we, if we talk to finance, we always recommend them to bring HR on board. Um, and and uh, and have them in the project um, as equal partners. Um, two reasons for that. First of all, um, uh, kind of uh, change is not necessarily uh, uh, a core, uh, or managing change is not necessarily core finance competence. There are good HR people often that that, that uh, really can contribute here. The second reason is the one I talked about that it has to hang together, right? So um, uh, the best cases, they have both functions uh, included. And we actually had a Norwegian bank, which implemented some years ago, uh, both finance and HR on board. Finance had a lead for quite a short period because it didn't take long before they realized that the, the real big change here was about the culture and behaviors. Um, and it was... It was not about these, these changing these management processes. Yeah, yeah. So they switched roles. HR took the lead and yeah. finance was kind of still in, but, but, but HR took the lead. So yeah. very important. You can, and and you also can... we recommend if there is a vibrant agile community, bring, bring them in. Yeah. Because yeah. just uh, changing processes and, and tools is not going to do much if uh, underlying behavior is uh, not addressed. No. But of course, the... The, the, um, there is a link between processes and, and culture and behaviors. And Correct. you can change culture and behaviors by changing processes. Yes, exactly. Uh, for the better or for the worse, by the way. But yeah. it has implications, <laughs> right? So I think you can't, you can't change culture in isolation. You have to do it through your, your management processes. Um, and again, as we talked about, the other thing you have to change is, is uh, how people think. That's the hard part, yeah. right? Yeah. To change what you do is, is, is much simpler than, than changing how you think. When when you stumbled on this idea, the story that you just uh, explained uh, briefly ago uh, with uh, um, Borealis, you were not the first company to do this. There has been uh, Handel Bunker has been doing this for a while, and you explained also in your book also the, the cases of Miles, of uh, Rayton Group, then obviously Borealis, and then Statoil. What is it about the Nordics that these ideas emerge? Yeah, no, that's also a question we often get. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's a relevant question, absolutely. And, and of course, it's no secret that we have a little bit of, uh, of tailwind through the, um, the uh, Nordic culture. Um, quite open, quite uh, egalitarian. Uh, power distance in the companies is quite, uh, is quite small, uh, and that definitely uh, helps us. 
So, um, but still, if you look at the, the list of companies on the journey today, you find them all over the world. Yeah. Um, so um, this is not, you don't need to be of Nordic, Nordic origins in order to do this. <laughs> um, it might be somewhat more challenging in, in some cultures, but um, uh, but also it's, um, I think we sometimes uh, stereotype a bit about cultures. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and, and even if there is one kind of national dominating culture, there's always subcultures. Yes. Uh, one example, um, again, Equinor is quite big in the yeah. U.S., and the company recruits mainly from its competitors. And people want to work for Boyal, for, for Equinor, because the company operates uh, in a different way, not just in their management processes, but also in their value, value yeah. and, and people, uh, people focus. So, so um, and that pool of different thinking Americans has been more than big enough so far to, to, to uh, it has definitely not been drained, uh, drained yet. Uh, you 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 make the case also in the book, and I, it's also uh, a statement that uh, one of our previous guests, News Flagen, make that purely copying what other successful companies have done is not going to work. Um, what is your experience with that? Why do you make that case when uh, companies, uh, or let's say, understand hear about this concept of beyond budgeting and just like purely copying what you did? yourself in Borealis or later in Statoil, Equinor, um, why well, would that I mean, work? It, it's, uh, I mean, uh, it, it is, yeah. no, I mean, you, you can't, you, you can't blindly copy. Um, that, that, that's, that doesn't work. And that is why we are emphasizing so much that the 12 beyond budgeting principles are principles, right? This is not a management recipe. What, the, what this shall mean depends on your own organization, your culture, your history, your business. Um, and I don't like management recipes. And there are some of them out there because in a management recipe, somebody has done all the thinking for you. Yeah. Right? The only thing you have to buy is to, to do is to buy the books and read them by yeah. the way and hire the consultants and take the boxes. <laughs> and I find that quite boring and also quite dangerous. So. Yeah. In implementing beyond budgeting, you have to think for yourself, what shall this mean for us? That is something that frustrates some people yes. because people <laughs> tend to love recipes. But, but again, it's, uh, it, it, it doesn't work. So if, if you look at the many companies that have implemented, uh, there's the quite a variation in what they have done. M many of them have inspired each other, but there's a difference between being inspired and yeah, copying. For sure. So like I don't think... have like a framework or some like set of uh, like Scrum does for Agile that like prescribe how people should work. Basically, you just no. set the principles and like, yeah, figure it out. No, but I have to say, I see some tendencies to recipes popping up in the Agile community as well in certain models. Um, yeah, and I think that is also one of the reasons why Agile is in the state that it is in. Because the, the tendency to blindly follow, oh, these are the rules of the book, and is what you say also the checkbox. Okay, we need to check this out, check this out, without actually thinking yeah. about yeah. whether whatever it is that we're doing is actually agile or is it actually uh, needed or brings any value um, at this point. Yeah. But I think there is I think the whole the whole certification also certification industry also builds up under this. 
right? Because the, that, that certification implies that there is just one way, right way to do this. And the, we are the one who knows and we will teach you and we will tell you if you get it or not. I mean, it's. Um, I think it's sad to see the kind of these yeah. uh, commercial money machines. Of, the uh, agile of, uh, industrial uh, complex. Yes, that's a nice way of putting I, it. I think it is uh, one difference though, like because uh, when I work for like a big company, I see a lot of people, at least who comes to IT, that they don't have an IT background, right? And let's say if I'm going to look from finance, yeah, finance has probably, and I'm going to say something that I don't know, but you can probably correct if I'm wrong, has existed for very long. The profession is there. There is not like a huge boom of, oh, we need financial people. But now every five years, the number of developers are basically exponentially growing and the market is growing like crazy. So I think there is also lack of, yeah, competence in the field for a while. And I don't think it's the same with, for example, finance, right? Like the studies are there, it's a bit more stable, if, uh, if you guys understand what I'm saying. Yeah, but I mean, finance has, traditional finance uh, and management has a long history, but beyond budgeting is, um, uh, is new, just like Agile. Yeah. Beyond budgeting was born roughly at the same time. Uh, as as the uh, few years before the Agile Manifesto was written. So there is the same need for building competence uh, in the finance community on on beyond budgeting, as you describe here in in the Agile community. But, you know, building competence doesn't have to mean um, uh, commercial certification, right? We do a lot of training. We build a lot of competence every day, but uh, we have not gone down the... The, uh, the certification route for the reasons I just described. Yeah. Yeah. And is, uh, is success guaranteed? You said like, uh, you know, a lot of companies, they, they contact me for uh, helping them implementing the beyond budgeting. Um, but does it work for all your clients? Well, first of all, it's not just me. I mean, there are, we are more people of course, working yeah. on this. So, so uh, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, no, but this is also a question we, we get. I mean, what about the failures? And does man, do, do many go back? Uh, the answer is that I, I think I hardly need one hand in order to count okay. those who have gone back. Yep. And uh, the common reason for a company going back is a significant change in top management uh, at the ver- very early right. stage before the kind of the, the platform is solid enough. That is the, the most common uh, reason. Okay. But I often, I mean, when when when, when people uh, are kind of uh, afraid of, kind of upfront, afraid of getting started here, um, and they are afraid of, of uh, well, what if we fail? And then uh, uh, my take on that would be that um, it is actually a very compelling risk uh, picture. Yeah. Because um, and and on this, I mean, I. When, in, in the early years, when people told me that there will be anarchy and cost will explode and so on, I used to argue mm. against. Now I'm trying to do something else. Um, um, uh, if, um, if, you all, uh, if you are the skeptical yeah. one, cost will explode and anarchy, I will not argue against. I will kind of acknowledge, yes, that is one scenario, but I will only accept your scenario if you accept my scenario, which is that this will yeah. work in a great way. Yeah. We don't agree, but we agree that there are two scenarios. And then we can start to look at the risk picture in both. Starting with your yep. scenario, I will argue that the risk is close to downside risk is close to zero. Because if it doesn't work, if you're right, 
we can go back to the old way yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. There's not a single soul who will have forgotten how we do this. So um, uh, the only risk is that my next job is not maybe not that interesting, but that's not a big risk from your perspective. Okay. Yeah. Then moving to my scenario, look at that huge upside potential. Look at all the great success stories and the performance boost that so many companies have. Have, right. have gotten. I mean, it is a again, very compelling risk picture, huge upside potential, very limited downside uh, uh, risk. And like, do, did you ever experience like that they actually move to beyond budgeting and they are doing well and for whatever reason they change management and these guys, oh no, I don't want to do this. I'm unaware of this. Let's go back to my other way because I can imagine it's quite a fundamental change in our organization. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, when I'm talking about change in top management, it's typically about external recruitment. Uh, if there's a, both a new CEO and CFO coming in who are a bit cold yeah. on this, then, of course, beyond budgeting is uh, is uh, is at risk. Absolutely. Interesting. So I, w I was wondering, uh, we were talking about, about forecasting uh, a little bit, so it's kind of a, a different uh, topic, I suppose. But um I have no real uh, experience in, in, in budgeting and all this stuff. So I, I have no idea what is a rolling forecast. How, what is it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, again, I mean, it starts with separating these th yeah. three into three processes. One of them is yeah. forecasting. The, the, the standard, uh, and this has to do with risk and um, uh, so frequency and time horizon. The standard, because beyond uh, budgeting companies, they do forecasting. After they have made their yep. budget, they make forecasts, right? Um, and very often on a quarterly basis. But the interesting thing with those kind of forecasts is that um, the, the further out in the year they get, the less interested they become in what lies ahead. Because when they make that initial mm -hmm. budget, well, that is, then they want to understand 12 months ahead, all of next year. Moving into fourth quarter, the first quarter, making a forecast, and suddenly um, three quarters is enough. Yeah. Right? We can still look, look till, till yeah. year end. And then mid-year, uh, two quarters is enough, and then one quarter is enough. And then suddenly they get interested in four quarters again because it's budget yeah. time. So you have this accordion forecasting horizon, which is um, yeah, quite interesting, a bit stupid actually. Um, <laughs> forecasting against the wall, as we call it. So what, what Beyond Budgeting recommends uh, is to do something with the rhythm. Yeah. Um, and one alternative is uh, a rolling forecast where, where the frequency very often is, is uh, quarterly. It doesn't have to be. It can be monthly. It can be longer, depending on what kind of business okay. you're in. And you have a rolling horizon. So many companies doing quarterly rolling forecasting, they always look five quarters ahead, right? So there's no accordion. The beyond budgeting principles doesn't kind of specify as directly uh, this way of doing forecasting. Uh, there are, uh, and, and this means that there are also other ways of doing it. In Equinor, uh, that company does um, what what uh, what they call dynamic forecasting, mm -hmm. which basically means that there is no predefined uh, frequency. So units up that they're forecast when stuff happens in their own environment that they think justify a forecast right. update. And they are not doing it from corporate because they are told to. They do it in order to manage their own business. But that information goes into a common database. There is a global SAP mm -hmm. solution. So corporate can at any time when they need it, tap into the latest version of these data ahead of a major acquisition or, or um, 
uh, yeah, maybe some communication with the market and so yeah. on. So these are just two versions of a more dynamic and event-driven okay. forecasting reason. Uh, yeah. yeah. Like one thing that you mentioned about uh, the relative target that make me think now, after you spoke 20 minutes ago about it, is that did I understand correct that it has to be benchmarked with the other competitors in the industry or not? Uh, well, that that can that can be one type of external benchmarking, uh, but uh, again, back to Equinor, uh, ninety nine percent of those uh, benchmarking or league tables, it's internal, uh, it's uh, comparable units uh, be, being compared in a kind of call it a friendly competition, uh, again with um, more emphasis on learning than than on competition, mm-hmm. but uh, it's so you don't. Uh, Two things. First of all, uh, you don't need to be able to benchmark with competitors in order to go beyond budgeting. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to do benchmarking at all in order to go beyond budgeting. It just makes things a little bit easier. But it is not a condition that you can do internal benchmarking. But uh, if you can do it, do it, it is a quite an, uh, a nice and effective and self-regulating way of of, of uh, thinking about performance but then if you don't have the uh, internal benchmarking can you still do relative target uh, no I, I mean well we think about relative uh, in in kind of two dimensions it can the first dimension is is about uh, uh, comparing input with output yeah so a unit production cost target right then you can you can spend more if you produce more right so that's one way of thinking relative mm-hmm. um and then you can and or combine that with um, uh, other units in, in the benchmarking, right? But if not, none of this is possible, <clears throat> then it is still oper- possible to operate with what we call absolute numbers and absolute targets. So there is a target of, say, 28. But the more absolute your targets are, the more important it is that your performance evaluation is what we call holistic. The more important it is to look at, go beyond or behind measurement to look at what measurement did not pick up, look at tailwind, headwind, changes in assumptions, yeah. the ambition level of targets and so on. And not just kind of blindly comparing your actual yeah, that, uh, number with, 20, with, with 28. And, Very and important part of the model. And I think now I'm curious as well about this part that you mentioned about, let's say, this friendly competition, but we're emphasizing learning because I did work in a few companies in the past that they had some sort of friendly competition, but somehow I never felt a healthy competition, right? That maybe because we didn't have the whole, let's say the right environment or the right setup, but then like how then beyond budget, like creates a system that doesn't create this emphasis in learning and not get like toxic to the point that teams starts or teams, or I don't know exactly what the distribution would be or departments start actually competing on a very passionate level. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it is a very powerful mechanism. It must be applied with wisdom. And um, and again, you need to think about the, the, the incentive part of this. I mean, if you combine this with individual bonuses, then that then, then you might have issues. Uh, yeah. But again, if you have a, a common bonus scheme driven by how uh, your company is doing versus uh, competitors, then it gives everybody a reason to help uh, each other. Um, and this is by a, a way, this is a key element in the Handelsbanken model, this um, Swedish pioneer that actually started out back in 1970. No budgets, no targets, no individual bonus. And in their model, they do a lot of benchmarking between uh, branches, 
uh, on, for instance, an, 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 a KPI called uh, cost-income ratio, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and if there is a if there is a unit in Handelsbank in a branch struggling on this um, um, uh, on, on cost-income ratio compared to other branches, there are no instructions from above uh, telling this unit to cut cost or do this or do that. The message from above is that we note that you have a problem, but it's your problem. You are closest to that problem. Yeah. You are the one with best knowledge of what the right medicine is, and your medicine cupboard is big enough, contains most of what you might need mm-hmm. to do. Is this about recruiting more people, local decision? Is it about salary levels outside of the regulated area, local decision, and so on and so on? Right. So um, yeah. I have a saying in this bank that um, our chairs have no back. Right? Mm. There is no one to lean back mm. on and said that, well, you told me and I'm blaming you, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and, I, and again, uh, it, it's, it's a very fascinating management model. In, 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 in these, company, in these stories, we're, we're building a, slowly building a case for decentralization and uh, an auto- autonomous run uh, units. But also, I hear underlining case for also centralization. So, for instance, like how do you measure, how do you report, uh, or uh, gathering the benchmarking? That's also a centralized process. Mm-hmm. Which um, which processes uh, should be centralized, and which processes should be completely left autonomous or decentralized? Well, I think we need, it's a good question. I think we need to, d- to distinguish between kind of business activities and decisions and uh, back office services uh, as such. And I have, I mean, I have no problem with any company saying that uh, we have one uh, finance system in this company and everybody shall use it. Right. That is not about uh, kind of taking autonomy away from people. Even Handelsbanken is doing that. It's actually a prerequisite for uh, a lot of the other things yeah. um, that we need in beyond mm-hmm. budgeting, the transparency yeah. and one version of the truth. Yeah. So again, um, but but then you kind of, in, in the borderline between these, then you, you of course find things like shared service centers, yeah. which sometimes and too often yeah. are disasters um, because they are kind of destroying work by the way they are chopping up work. Um, <laughs> And if you're f- familiar with Vanguard and the Vanguard method, they they do a lot. This actually our partner in the UK, uh, Vanguard Consulting, and they um, uh, the founder John Seddon has written great books on, oh, on, yeah. on yeah. stuff of the stupidity of of destroying services by 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 putting them into uh, shared service centres. and measuring the wrong things in these shared service centres. Okay, uh, yeah, I think we need to. Uh close it down right now here uh we've been uh, talking for an hour with Beata and uh yeah i've been learning a lot about uh, beyond budgeting uh it's about a lot more than i initially uh, thought so uh, thank you very much Beata, for your uh, expertise on on the subject uh if people want to know more where what would where would be a good place for them to to look check out the beyond budgeting roundtable website it's called bbrt.org okay. and um when you're online, you want, might want to check out my own website. It's called boxnessadvisory.com. Um, but uh, start with right. bbrt.org. Yeah. Uh, there are some good books out there as well. Um, uh, not just mine. <laughs> <laughs> good books but well. yours is the best. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
um, and uh, you'll find more information about these books and a lot of other stuff on that uh, All right. website. And uh, uh, sign up to our newsletter, so we'll keep you posted about what is happening in this uh, exciting okay. community. Well, we'll uh, definitely include this information in the description so people can uh, can check it out. All right. So yeah, I would like to uh, thank everyone for uh, for being here. And Hik Panche, Bjata, thank you very much. And I want to thank the listener as well for tuning in for this uh, one-year anniversary 50th episode of Roasting Marshmallows. Uh, please send us an email at uh, podcast at forscouts.nl or reach us on Twitter at, uh, at Four Scouts. All right. Thank you very much and see you next time. Bye-bye.